0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast where we explore the origins and the development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the
2: Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for joining us. You'll be delighted to know it's part two of the 1969 Justice League of America and Justice Society of America crossover. We are looking this week at issue 74 of Justice League of America, published on the 24th of July, 1969, dated September 1969. And Peter is going to tell you about the Neil Adams cover, the 15th Neil Adams cover so far on the podcast.
1: Well, this is a stunning cover. Very, very, very dynamic. We have in the foreground, Superman. Punching Superman double-fistedly in the face, crushing him right into the ground. Yep. My goodness, I'm not entirely sure which Superman is which, to be honest here.
2: Yes, there's no real differentiation between their essays as yet, as we'll come and see. We'll mm. have to keep our eyes peeled for when that first happens.
1: And in the background, looking shocked from left to right, we have Kitar Hall, the Earth-1 Hawkman, Alan Scott, the Earth-2 Green Lantern, we have the Earth-2 Wonder Woman, Hal Jordan, the Earth-1 Green Lantern, Bruce Wayne, the Earth <laughs> One, Batman, and... Doctor Fate. Yes. Of Earth Two.
2: We must emphasise it's the real Doctor Fate, not the MF Enterprises French version with the moustache. <laughs> there we go. No. Yes, I love this cover. It's fantastic. Yes. I'm hoping this episode is going to release in time for me to use the Hal Jordan June hashtag on Instagram when I post this cover. <laughs> it's brown. The only thing I don't really like about it is obviously that Neil's drawn this on a very neutral background and it's just been kind of mm-hmm. blandly coloured in with a sort of maroon background. It's a bit... um... I don't know, I think it makes the characters pop better. Well, I think if the background was maybe a different colour, they might pop a little more.
1: Yeah. mm -hmm.
2: It's a bit muted. I mean, this is not a complaint. This is just a a constructive observation. But it's tremendous, as you say. One soups. Double punch, there's all the, the burst of energies that collide. The Superman, it goes down. There are movement lines to show him being smacked into the ground. Mm-hmm. The ground cracking around him. If you turn your comic upside down, he looks fair scunnered, as we say in Glasgow. <laughs> it's a cracker. So yes, listeners, as you, as you may have guessed, this issue features the first meeting of the Superman of Earth 1 and the Superman of Earth 2. Huh? They will meet a few more times, obviously, during the course of the podcast, but this is a mm-hmm. very significant one. So... Without further ado, we shall crack on with the story, which continued from last week's GLA issue 73. We hope you joined us for that episode. The first page of issue 74 is essentially a recap of the bulk of issue 73, where Starman confronted Aquarius, and then the Justice Society, alongside Black Canary's husband, Larry Lance, confronted Aquarius. And then Aquarius destroyed the world and everything in it with the help of Starman's cosmic rod, but Doctor Fate was able to save the few Justice Society members those being, as well as Doctor Fate, Doctor Midnight, Green Lantern, Superman, Wonder Woman, Black Canary, and the aforementioned Larry Lance, we continue the story on page two as we meet the JSA members still confined in a bubble, with Aquarius looking at them. Doctor Fate can be seen with his helmet tipped back up. ...over his head, so we see Kent Nelson's face. Very unusual. Very unusual indeed. I can't think of this ever happening anywhere else, ever. I mean, there's that bit in Legends, that cool bit in Legends... ...when a parademon steals his helmet, but it's Mm. not quite the same.
1: It's almost like a welder's helmet, the way he's got it up.
2: Yeah, it's like he's lifted a visor, quite right. It's bizarre. So everyone else looks a bit knackered and a bit scunnered... ...as we say in Scotland. And Kent Nelson is thinking to himself...
1: ...can't keep it up much longer... For almost two weeks I've maintained the sphere and kept my friends alive without food or water. Power's nearly exhausted. There's no hope.
2: How did they all go to the bathroom? That's what I want to know. Or did he just suspend all bodily functions? He did. Magic. Thank goodness for that. I'm glad that was the case. There's no hope, thanks Kent Nelson. Uh Uh-uh. The caption for panel two says...
0: But there is hope, for the android Red Tornado has flung himself across the Astral Gulf to Earth-1, seeking the aid of the... Justice League League of of America!
2: America. A cracking panel of Red Tornado hurling himself across the Astral Gulf. A tiny caption tells us the stories by Denny O'Neill, another tiny caption tells us the art is by Dick, Dillon and Sid Green, and the text continues, saying... Even now, they cross that unimaginable
0: void, beginning the journey that will take them to a place
2: where death death fears fears to to tread. tread. Right, the next panel, cracking. Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, Red Tornado, and Superman hurtling through space, it looks. Green Lantern's projecting a sort of box, it looks like, almost, they're just a big green sheet of glass, nearly. Within it, we can see some other members of the Justice League, including Hawkman, the Atom, who's very shrunk down at this point, Batman, the Flash, and Green Arrow. And as they fly along, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern is thinking,
1: Though I've made this trip so many times, it always awes me. We're at the centre of nothingness, midway between being and non-being. I've got to be very careful at this point. We're approaching the entrance to the universe of negative matter. If we were to slip through that gap, we'd probably be instantly annihilated. When positive matter from our universe, as much as touches negative matter, it causes an explosion that makes an H-bomb look like a firecracker.
2: And we see that Green Lantern is looking at basically a big crackle of blue energy that seems to be hovering in space now. I can't help but think if you're going to hang an entrance to a universe of negative matter on the wall in the first act, you must do something with it in the third act. Hmm, interesting. In the next panel, we're all still flying through space. Green Lantern says out loud this time,
1: We're emerging into Earth-2's space-time continuum. Any ideas about what we do
2: next, Superman? Just one. Find Aquarius and hit him with everything we've got. From inside Green Lantern's projected energy shape, Ray Palmer the Atom says, Yeah, but from what Reddy told us, that'll be like a Tricycle hitting a regiment of tanks. I have a hunch there are real problems ahead. Hmm. The caption name for the next panel says.
0: However, Aquarius too is having problems.
2: And we see Aquarius, the very large, blue, glowing man. Trying to describe his features, he kind of looks a little bit like a cross between the Absorbal Off from Doctor Who, yes. Tony Hancock, and Bernard Breslau. So that's one for all the young transatlantic listeners there.
1: Absolutely, yes.
2: Aquarius looking very miserable. We can see the JSA and their protective bubble floating in front of them, and Aquarius is thinking. These mortals are not without resources. I could not imagine they would have
1: resisted me so long. I grow weary. I shall cease playing with them and concentrate my energy on finishing them. Gosh,
0: the
2: caption for the final panel of page three then says, At that instant, the Justice League arrives. And they do. Green Lantern still projecting everyone else in his little weird green box thing. Superman the Red Tornado flying alongside. Aquarius clocks them and thinks... Impossible!
1: There cannot be other mortals, yet there are. I need time to think, to understand.
2: We arrive at the top of page four and Aquarius gestures towards the bubble that Dr. Fate is maintaining. And there's a burst of golden energy all around it as Aquarius thinks...
1: I shall let the mortals within the globe delay those interlopers. Within the air I place a mesmeric command and flee.
2: In panel two we see him absconding. Retornado, Superman, Green Lantern and the others watching this happen. Retornado says, Aquarius is escaping. Superman says, not for long. We'll catch up to him, but first we'd better rescue the Justice Society. And inside Green Lantern's power-blasted thingy, the atom cries, "That bubble!" or whatever it is, is dissolving. And we can see in the background indeed that the bubble integrity of Dr Fate's little sphere is breaking up. It's sort of shimmering. And then in the next panel, we see it dissolving completely around everyone. As Dr Fate says, The
1: Justice League. Thanks, Zoroaster. I can relax.
2: Yes, he, he looks knackered, even with his helmet on. A caption then leads from this panel into the next one, saying...
0: But as the Mystic Sphere vanishes, the hypnotic command left behind by Aquarius becomes activated. And deep within their minds, the Justice Society members hear a voice that must be obeyed.
2: Yes, that bubble vanishes and Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Doctor Fate, Canary, Doctor Midnight and Larry all start to straighten up with glassy-eyed expressions. This panel's going under socials, by the way, as a big echoing voice all around them declares... Destroy the intruders, they are your enemies. And then in the final panel of page four, a little bit of comic book history, listeners, as the Superman of Earth One alights in front of his parallel Earth colleague. Superman of Earth One says, Superman of Earth Two, I've always wanted to meet you. I imagine we have a lot in common. However, the caption for the first panel of page five says, it begins then, the most unique struggle in history, Superman against Superman. And the first panel of page five shows a very surprised looking Earth One Superman as Earth Two Superman flies forward and strikes him in the stomach. They continue to fight for the rest of the page. Superman of Earth Two punches at Superman of Earth One as Superman of Earth One says, Hey, what? Ooh, and thinks, Superman Two's as strong as I am. Superman Two? Is he talking about the movie? Yes. Mm. Which cut? We've seen panel two. The mesmer stare of Superman of Earth-2 as he flies towards his counterpart colleague and Earth-1-Supes thinks, His eyes are glassy. He's under some sort of spell. Doesn't know what he's doing. Which won't prevent him from smashing me unless I stop him. Superman of Earth-1 kicks up at Superman of Earth-2 who falls backwards. Earth-1-Superman thinks, Up, up, and away from me. Superman 2 wasn't expecting a counter-attack. While he's in a trance, I'd better press my advantage. And he flies forward, head-butting him in the stomach. Oomph! thinks Superman of Earth-1. His stomach's as hard as as mine. When this is over, I may not like myself any more. Page six consists of one huge panel that has the text captioned that says,
0: Meanwhile, on the ground, the remaining Justice Leaguers are numbed by the realisation that they must fight their sworn allies. Bewildered, they stand, waiting for the first fateful blow to be struck.
2: Yes, we see Green Lantern squaring up to Green Lantern. We see the Hawkman of Earth-1 squaring up to Wonder Woman of Earth-2. We see the Atom and Batman of Earth-1 squaring up against Doctor Midnight. We see Doctor Fate squaring up against Barry Allen's Flash. In the foreground, we see Green Arrow confronting Larry Lance and Black Canary. And in the background of it all, Red Tornado observes and thinks.
1: Again, I've been warned not to mix in a fight. Is this always to be my fate?
2: At this point, I'm not really liking Red Tornado. I think he's rubbish. I'm getting bored of this self-pity. Bring on the guy in the stripy trousers. <laughs> Spoilers. So, tiny caption says, continued on the second page following, but the next page is a cracker. It's full page advertisement for Aurora model kits, including Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Oh, the spaceship from Land of the Giants, which I'm sitting here trying to remember. Oh, Spindrift? Was that it? don't know. And then the moon bus from the movie 2001 a Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. Land of the Giants. I would love to do a Land of the Giants podcast if anyone's listening. So, page 7. The caption at the top of the page says... Witness
0: now the awful fruits of Aquarius' madness, the raging insanity of the Justice Society, and the mute desperation of the Justice League.
2: Dr. Midnight rushes towards Batman, Dr. Midnight crying. You, the enemy, must die, Batman thinks.
1: Dr. Midnight's babbling, obviously not in his right mind. I've always thought he and I almost evenly matched. We have identical skills, traits, except that he's blind.
2: Batman then grabs. Dr. Midnight, with a whomp sound effect, flips him over his shoulder as he continues to think. And
1: I could qualify for a black belt in judo. I hope this jar brings him to his senses.
2: But right, in the next panel, Dr. Midnight is already on his feet. We can see something in his hand, as Batman thinks. No such
1: luck. The good doctor's about to play his ace, his blackout bomb. There are a pair of items in my utility belt that should counter that.
2: Yes, the next panel, Chuck has unleashed a blackout bomb. We see Batman starting to be enshrouded in the clouds of darkness. I'm really impressed at this. I've been wearing contact lenses for over 30 years, and I need a mirror and bright light to put them in. <laughs> but Batman obviously doesn't have such trouble as he thinks.
1: My infrared lenses. I'll fake blindness, then slip them into place.
2: Well done, Bats. The final panel of page 7 now is an absolute cracker. Batman and Chuck both shrouded in darkness, and we can see sort of highlights. It's kind of the opposite of it, as if they were in silhouette. Mm -hmm. Just kind of see sort of almost shadowy highlights as they move towards each other in the darkness. Batman is thinking, He's
1: confident. Doesn't realise that I can see through this black haze as well as he can.
2: And then, in the first panel of page eight, there's a Zock sound effect As Batman strikes Dr. Midnight, who falls backwards as Batman thinks. I
0: hate to do this to a friend, particularly a friend whose brains are addled, but it's for his own good.
2: Bruce, we've all been there, we've all done it. The caption for panel two of page eight says,
0: Nearby, at that moment...
2: Yes, this is another very interesting panel. The Flash is zooming about at speed in front of Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate is striking at him with his magical energy. Now again, we should emphasise once again at this point, Dr. Fate's magic is still being visualised as if he's conjuring lightning bolts from his fingertips. Mm-hmm. Floating down behind Dr. Fate, however, is Ray Palmer, the Atom of Earth-1, who's thinking, Fate's out of his gourd! He's not clobbering Flash with his magic bolts, although he's sure trying. Instead of trying to hit a moving target, he'd be better off commanding his magic to track old Scarlet until it's scored. Odd. The next panel's brilliant as Ray starts to shrink down even further towards Dr Fate and the Atom thinks. No point in my waiting till he figures out what he's doing wrong. Under the circumstances I feel justified in pulling a sneak attack. So in I slip between the molecules of Fate's helmet. Between the molecules of Fate's helmet. Sounds like the name of a prog rock album from the mid-70s, probably by Emerson, Lake and Palmer or Yes or something, doesn't it? Certainly does, yes. (laughs) Peter's looking very indulgent right now, listeners, as I just make a terrible, pithy observation.
1: I was going to say, or the Alan Partridge project, but I thought, no, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) Alan Parsons, of
2: course, Alan Parsons. Yes, (laughs) of course. Other prog rock podcasts are available. So the atom shrinks down towards Dr. Fate and then the final panel of page eight, we're inside Dr. Fate's helmet and we Mm. see the atom start to enlarge slightly (laughs) as he thinks, there's my objective, his great big nose. Gosh, the first panel of page nine. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Ray Palmer, the atom, shrunk down to a tiny size and he's squeezing the end of Dr. Fate's beak inside his helmet. Can you believe it? As the atom strikes, he thinks, I hope Dr. Fate will understand. This is all in a good cause. And then (laughs) the caption for panel two says,
0: Suddenly, stung by sharp pain, the mystic master (laughs) loses control of his astral energy emanations.
2: Yes, and between panels one and two, there's a great big cry of, (laughs) As Dr. Fate's right hand comes up to his mask because he's got a sore nose. That's terrible. And we see his energy blast go slightly astray and the caption picks up from that basically and says, Causing a magic
0: bolt to go wild. Magic attracts magic, and the bolt leaps at Wonder Woman's magic lasso as she prepares to ensnare Hawkman.
2: Yes, a great panel where Hawkman's looking very Murphy Anderson. We can Mm. see the the Amazon princess about to strike. It goes a bit west, though, as the caption for panel four says.
0: The Amazon rope, in turn,
2: goes wilder yet. Yeah, it's almost as though the the rope has a life of its own. It's starting to twist and entwine itself around Wonder Woman, who cries, Stop, rope! I command you! Then the final panel of page nine is captioned thus. Perhaps it does not hear
0: Wonder Woman's frantic demand. Perhaps the outrich energy has made it rebellious. In any case, the lariat snares its mistress and within a moment has her
2: thoroughly subdued. Yes, Wonder Woman looks very perturbed as the the lasso wraps around her and holds her rigid. I'm thinking I'm going to put that whole first three-panel sequence on the Instagram, quite frankly, because that's Mm. hilarious. Yeah. So with Wonder Woman bound... We arrive at the top of page 10, and the caption for the first panel there says,
0: Taking advantage of Dr. Fate's distraction, the Scarlet Speedster does some Flash-style subduing.
2: Great panel of Barry zooming past Dr. Fate, and there's a CLONG clong sound effect as he punches Dr. Fate, who recoils backwards. The next panel's it shows the Flash rubbing his knuckles as he says, That faceplate is harder than steel. I wish I'd hit him easier. And then from inside Dr. Fate's helmet, another voice says, So do I, pal. And then we see in panel three, Ray Palmer, obviously struck by the reverberation as the helmet was struck, trying to keep his balance across Dr. Fate's throat and collar as he says, So do I. And then a caption rounds out page 10, saying,
0: Meanwhile, the two supermen have battled each other, first to a standstill and then to a lie-still.
2: Yes, and over a sequence of four panels, we see the soups trading blows, crushing each other against each other and falling flat on their faces. Tremendous. First panel of page 11. The caption for that says,
0: And a few feet away.
2: Yes, interesting shot. We're very up close beside Hal Jordan, Green Lantern of Earth-1, as he wraps his Earth-2 counterpart in a bit of power ring-style rope and thinks,
1: I'm able to be a shade gentler with my opposite number than the rest of the gang. GL's power ring must have run out of charge days ago. This power line should hold him.
2: Interesting. That's a fair point, actually. Mm-hmm. That's a thought, yeah. The next panel shows Hal running back towards the others with his fist up in the air, I'm mean this, listeners, radiating a big burst of green energy as he thinks.
1: Now I'll we'll attend to the real menace here. And then he says out loud, Ring, seek out Aquarius and bring him back here.
2: Gosh. That panel's rounded out by a caption that continues to the next one saying,
1: As the ring spurts out waves
0: of incredible emerald light, another green-clad gladiator is busy doing his arrow thing.
2: Yeah, it's a cracking shot of Oliver Queen Green Arrow. Still in his original outfit at this point, listeners, we must emphasise. Mm-hmm. feels like we haven't seen him for ages. No, true. I don't think he popped up in the last one, but it feels like a very long time mm-hmm. since we've seen Green Arrow. feels like a very long time since we did the z Arrow episode. It probably was, gosh. Yeah. We see Ollie drawing an arrow cross his bow, taking it out from his cover, getting into position as he thinks. It seems
1: ungentlemanly to use a bow against a lady, but I've seen that particular lady tie professional wrestlers into knots.
2: Final panel of page is a cracker. Black Canary leaping above Green Arrow as he fires the arrow towards her. Green Arrow thinks.
1: This situation calls for a gizmo so new I don't even have a name for it. I guess Stick'em Shaft is as good as any. Peter, that's disgusting. Well, While reading, what's written? (laughs) Denny O'Neill, that's disgusting.
2: Yes, this is supposed to be an all-ages podcast. We arrive at top of page 12 now. Listeners, this is history starting to take place before our eyes. Not only have we seen the first meeting of the two supermen, well, gosh, some real changes are in the offing here. The caption for the first panel on page 12 says,
0: Above Black Canary's head, the shaft snaps open and rains down gossamer strands of specially treated plastic.
2: Yes, there's a helpful curse-snap sound effect, and that's what we see. We see Canary being covered in sticky, orangey, brown goop. And in the second panel of page 12, she's flat her back on the ground, stuck to the ground by this aforementioned concoction. Greenard, with a furrowed brow stands and watches her on the ground and thinks,
1: Perfect. The molecules of the plastic contract upon contact, and Black Canary is caught like a fly in molasses. The stickum shaft has earned itself a permanent place in my quiver. I need to say in this panel, look at how much Green Arrow's chin juts out. No wonder he ends up with a goatee soon, because that's a massive jaw jut he's got right there.
2: Yeah, well, some of us occasionally grow goatees or beards to make up for the lack of chin.
1: <laughs> this is the other way around.
2: I'm Joe shave, actually. Listeners, I look like a right scruff at the moment. But anyway, <laughs> caption for panel three as we get back into the action.
0: At that instant, the blonde bombshell's husband comes to her aid.
2: Yes, with a zock. Larry knocks out Green Arrow from behind. We can see Ollie's hat flying, which is quite amusing. (laughs) And then the caption for panel four says...
0: And miles away, Green Lantern's beams are homing in on their targets.
2: Yes, we see Aquarius still holding Starman's cosmic rod, being struck by Hal's beams, as Aquarius thinks...
1: How can this be?! I am threatened by some unknown foe. It matters not. I am equal to the challenge, to
2: any challenge. And then the caption for the final panel of page 12 says,
0: Raising Starman's rod, Aquarius wills a defence. A dazzling spectrum of colour radiates from his body, and the power beams are thwarted by yellowish
2: hues in it. We're very much back into... (sighs) Too much going on with the captions here, I feel. It's almost like either these captions are all completely redundant because the dialogue just about covers them, or it's almost just like illustrated prose. Mm. I feel like we've had quite a lot of other stories recently that have taken us a little bit beyond this. It's quite off-putting at this point, but this panel is spectacular, as Aquarius is surrounded by radiant waves of yellow, orange, and kind of golden-brown energy that seem to distort and reflect Hal Jordan's power beams. As this is taking place, Aquarius cries, My cosmic radiance shall seek out the source
1: of this foul affront to my person. Seek it out and destroy it.
2: Now, things really start to move. The caption for the first panel on page 13 says, Then the pseudo-rainbow gathers into a
0: ball. Slowly it bounces away, but Aquarius doesn't quite have the ability he credits himself with.
2: Yes, we see all the energy forming into a sphere, and it bounces away, leaving little bursts of pink energy behind it. The caption then continues.
0: And, instead of moving toward Green Lantern, the macabre, multi-hued sphere veers toward the first human in its path. Black Canary struggles against her bonds, helplessly watching death wobble closer.
2: We see canary still stuck to the ground by the plastic from Green Arrow's, well, arrow. <laughs> her hair's caught, her hands are caught, boot's caught. She's trying to move herself out of the way as the big bubble of red and yellow and orange and brown energy bubbles closer towards her. And closer. Yep, and it's obviously like gets rolling towards her. But then, in the next panel, the caption says,
0: Nearby, Larry Lance senses danger and pauses in his mesmerised, murderous mission.
2: Yes, we see that Larry has picked up Green Arrow's bow and arrow. We can see Ollie on the ground in front of him. But in the background, we can see Aquarius's bubble of energy bearing down on Black Canary. And Larry reacts and says, Dinah,
1: in trouble.
2: Larry gets a close-up on the final panel of page 13. The caption says, For a
0: moment, his love struggles with Aquarius's hypnotic command.
2: Yes, and we see Larry, in extreme close-up, looking very pained as he struggles and says, Dinah, my darling Dinah. We turn the page. First panel of page 14, the caption says, Suddenly, he
0: turns and runs.
2: Yes, he drops the arrow and the bow, runs towards Black Canary, crying,
1: I'm coming, Dinah.
2: The caption for panel two. Runs and leaps desperately. Yes, we see him jumping in front of the bubble of energy and the trapped blonde bombshell. The caption for panel three.
0: Shields his beloved with his own body, takes the full force of the terrible sphere.
2: Yes, and it's almost as though Larry's been struck by lightning. There's a burst of yellow radiant light. And then the caption for the final panel of page 14.
0: And then the very brave, very good Larry Lance
2: dies. Yes, final panel of page 14 is tinted blue. There's almost a hint of smoke in the background. Maybe his energy dissipates and in the foreground of the panel, we see Larry's still lifeless, unmoving hand. The rest of this page is taken up with an advertisement for showcase, introducing fire hair, civilized or savage. Well, what do you think of people with read here? Write and let us know couple of pages pass. Um, an issue of Lois Lane. A giant issue of Sugar and Spike. If someone would like to buy me that, would be lovely. We arrive at the top of page 15. The caption for the first panel there says...
0: A mere minute has passed. A scant 60 seconds. Yet, within that tiny time span, a world has been saved. The energy released when the sphere burst sundered Aquarius' hypnotic order. The
1: Justice Society members recover.
2: We see Superman. Looks like he's blinking, actually. Dr. Fate and Dr. Midnight shaking their heads. Green Lantern with an expression on his face of he's just getting his realisation back. Wonder Woman looking down at the ground. Black Canadian in the foreground, eyes wide, looking very shocked. The caption for the next panel says...
0: And the earth which had existed only in their memories shimmers into physical reality.
2: Yes, it's a shot of a city with buildings almost as if they're wobbling back into to existence. The next panel...
0: Children laugh...
2: That's what we see in the next panel showing a couple of lads, could be Felix and Oscar from The Odd Couple actually, pointing and squaring up to each other. A caption there says,
0: Men argue, people go about their routine business, unaware of how close they came to ultimate extinction.
2: And then page 15 is concluded, the sequence of three panels featuring Black Canary, as she sees Larry's body on the ground. The caption says, 60
0: seconds. A large world is saved, and a small world, a private world of love and devotion, ends... Forever.
2: Dinah moves closer to her husband's body and starts to cry. First panel of page 16, Green Lantern Alan Scott puts his hand on Canary's shoulder as he says, We won't let Larry's death go unavenged. We'll get Aquarius. I swear we'll get him. Crying Black Canary says, I don't care about Aquarius. Just go away. The next panel shows Green Lantern Hal Jordan poaching Alan Scott. Hal says,
1: Alan, I'll bring your power battery here.
2: His off-to counterpart replies, We sure have fun, don't we, Hal? Fighting our battles, winning, basking in fame and admiration. Greenland and Hal Jordan gestures into the sky, finding a burst of green energy to draw Alan's battery. Foreground of the panel, Alan continues, So much fun, we sometimes forget our reason for existing. We're good for only one thing, to keep that from happening. And we see almost over his shoulder, point of view shot, Canary, sobbing and crying over Larry's body. Hal says... Easy, friend. And he continues in the next panel... Here's your battery. And we see Alan Scott's power battery flying towards them via Hal's power beam. Alan says... Thanks. Sorry I blew up. I'd consider it an honour if you'd speak my oath with me. And the final panel, page 16, very effective, shows both Green Lanterns lit up by the energy as Alan Scott recharges his power ring and both Green Lanterns recite the oath of the Green Lantern of Earth 2. And I shall shall shed my light over dark dark evil. evil... For the, the dark, dark things cannot stand, stand the light of Green Lantern. Lantern. Well then, a little pause, we arrive at the top of page seventeen. The caption for the first panel says Solemn preparations
0: are made, and a few hours later
2: Yes, very somber, very sad. There's a gravestone, a very simple gravestone that just reads Larry Lance, nineteen thirty to nineteen sixty nine. We can see that the Mount of Arthur's coffin presumably has been buried. Superman, presumably of Earth-2, is reading from a Bible, and he says, Into thy hands we commend his spirit. Tears in his face. Surrounding him, counterclockwise, the Flash, Barry Allen, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, Oliver Queen's Green Arrow, Bruce Wayne, Batman, presumably the Superman of Earth-1, Cater Hall of Earth-1, the Atom standing on his shoulder, Doctor Fate, Doctor Midnight, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Black Canary is sobbing with a hanky up to her face as she throws a single red rose onto the ground in front of them. Panel 2, we see Wonder Woman going to comfort her friend, saying, Come on, Dinah. I'll take care of you. Canary's still crying. But suddenly, Superman's head whirls around as, well, the caption tells us.
0: A shriek of maniacal laughter seems to echo from the vault of the sky.
2: Yes. see large letters giving us some... (laughs) And the next panel shows the assembled members of the Justice League and Justice Society looking up, and it seems as though Aquarius is perched on the roof of Starman's observatory. Aquarius is saying,
1: Puny mortals! Amusing! You think life is so valuable! You give me great mirth!
2: We're back down with the heroes as a, an angry Black Canary cries, You murderer! the Woman says, Dinah, there's nothing you can do. Superman, probably of our Two, says, But we can do something, and we will. Green Lantern Alan Scott rounds out saying, Or die trying. We arrive at the top of page 18, Aquarius, oh, I hate him, flies off, saying,
1: (laughs) Ha ha ha! Come mortals, amuse me more, frolic with me before I tire and extinguish you.
2: The heroes watch him go. The next panel shows the two green lanterns flying into the air, blasting a little power beam in front of them. They bears the Flash, the Atom, Hawkman, Doctor Midnight, Doctor Fate, Batman, and Green Arrow. The two supermen fly after them. One of the supermen says, Wonder Woman. Stay with Black Canary. And from inside, the Green Lantern's power beam, the Atom, says, You too, Red Tornado. You've been helpful enough as it is. We don't want to press our luck. That's not very nice. (laughs) Also from inside the bubble, Dr. Fate says,
1: Aquarius is speeding toward the astral gates leading into Earth 1.
2: So yes, they all fly off, leaving Wonder Room to comfort Black Canary and Red Tornado to stand around like a spare lemon waiting for the squeezer. The next panel shows the two Green Lanterns hurtling through space, bearing... Everyone else behind them, although we only see Dr. Fate. Hal Jordan says,
1: He'll certainly unloose his madness in our world, so we have another reason to stop him.
2: Greenland and Alan Scott replies, I don't need another reason. Dr. Fate behind them says,
1: The situation is worse than either of you realises. If we allow Aquarius to bring magic from this universe to yours, the balance of cosmic forces will be upset. He could rend the fabric of existence. All humanity could perish in a final spasm of hideous insanity.
2: That's a great panel, Dr. Fate, as he's sort of illuminated by the the emerald beams of the the two GLs. Very smart. The final panel of page 18 shows Aquarius flying ahead of the heroes towards a very familiar-looking burst of blue energy that we saw very early in the comic. One of the supermen is saying, He's through the cosmic gate, into the corridor between the universes. We only have moments left to catch him. Caption for the first panel on page 19 says...
0: Travelling at speeds far too great to be comprehended, the JLA-JSA groups hurtle through the gate in desperate pursuit.
2: I suppose that's what we're seeing. The caption for panel two then says...
0: And on the other side, stop abruptly. (laughs) Slam into an uncanny dense wall of cosmic ether.
2: Yes, it's almost like there's a kind of blue force field. Mm -hmm. And uh, Green Lantern's power beam has broken up against it. Everyone's sort of falling downwards. Hal Jordan says... Aquarius has created a
1: space warp. We're trapped. And Alan Scott says,
2: Quick, Hal, combine your power beam with mine. Together, maybe we can blast open the warp. That's very bad English. That should just say together, maybe we can blast the warp open. Who wrote this? Was it Chris Chidno? Final panel then at the top of page 19. Very interesting, showing that the warp seems to have proper solid form and structure. Mm-hmm. As we see the two Green Lanterns forcing their way through it, almost breaking it open. Hal Jordan is saying,
1: We made it. It shouldn't be too hard to free the rest of. And Alan Scott interrupts, saying...
2: No! They're safe! The warp will keep them in suspended animation, and there's no sense in involving them. You know what we must do, don't you? Hal puts his hand to his head, and the final panel of page 19, and says...
1: Yes. And you're right. If we return, we can rescue our companions.
2: And if we don't, it won't make any difference. We might as well get started. You any good at insults? I'll rise to the occasion... And so we arrive at the top of page 20 now. We see both Green Lanterns gesturing with the power rings and they're creating, like, massive cones, megaphones in front of them. Green Lantern Alan Scott says, Aquarius! Ugly, stupid Aquarius! Surely you do not imagine we're really frightened of a blunderer like yourself! And Hal says, With Starman's rod, you're a fumbling fool. Without it, you're nothing. And the next panel... Shows Aquarius, who we haven't seen for a very long time, it feels like, actually. It's almost like he's turning round, coming back on the way he was going. He's heard the Green Lantern's voices, and he says, How dare they! And off camera, we hear the magnified voice of one of the Green Lanterns crying, Show yourself, coward! And Aquarius responds with, I shall not tolerate this insolence! In the next panel, the two Green Lanterns are flying past Aquarius, still beaming out their cones, as Hal cries, Silence us! And Alan continues, We defy you! And we can see Aquarius's hands waving. <laughs> we can tell he's annoyed with just the back of his head. final panel shows both Green Lanterns, and in front of them, there's another big, massive, crackling energy thing in space. There we go, how scientific. Green Lantern Hal Jordan says,
1: It got him. He's coming. Alan, have you ever been in the Negative Universe? Do you know how to protect yourself?
2: No. We've got to guess, and guess good. We won't get a second chance as a starter. Let's will our rings to put up a negative barrier to protect ourselves. And then the first panel, page 21, shows both Green Lanterns hurtling through this big warp in space, surrounded by little force field bubbles. And as they fly through the warp, their surroundings basically flip from instead of a black void with the white dots that show the stars, it's a white void with black dots showing presumably stars and planets and asteroids. It looks very Jack Kirby to my eyes. Mm-hmm. I can't lie. And as they fly through this gap, surrounding by the bubbles, Green Lantern Hal Jordan says, in response to Alan's comment about the, the bubbles protecting them,
1: But can it? Can even the rings create negative matter?
2: We're betting our lives on it. And Aquarius is extinction. The caption for panel two says,
0: Then the Emerald Crusaders shudder in awe as they enter the negative universe. Miraculously, the rings ward off a shower of deadly anti particles.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting panel. It basically looks as though the, the sort of what looked like meteorites in the previous panel just bounce off the two green lanterns with their little force fields, leaving lots of little splurges of pink energy behind them. Very interesting. Panel 3 is a cracker. The caption for it says, Blind with fury, Aquarius flings himself in pursuit. And this is looking back through the space warp that the two green lanterns flew through. We see Aquarius with a mad expression, flying through the gap himself. We can see the regular space behind him, but also we can see the negative space that he's flying into. A great close-up shot of the two Green Lanterns as Alan Scott says, He's through! Let's get out of here! And the caption for the next panel. Too late,
0: Aquarius realises his mistake. Realises his doom.
2: Yes, we see Aquarius being struck by... A burst of, I suppose, what are the anti What looks like meteorites and, and rocks hurling towards him. It also actually looks like they're going through him. The caption for the first panel of page 22.
0: In vain he lunges for safety, but it seems all the forces of nature oppose him. A hail of anti-meteors blocks his way.
2: And what we see is a rush of the, the negative meteors rushing forward and blocking the entrance between the two universes. Aquarius cries, No! No! And the rest of the page is taken up with a massive, almost full panel. This might end up on Instagram. There's a caption for it that says,
0: He screams once as his positive matter body touches a negative matter particle.
2: You see the two Green Lanterns back in their own space, looking back on the, the crackling entrance to the negative universe, which is just rippling in blue energy and green energy, which seems to be the dissolving form of Aquarius. Last caption for this panel says, A final silent explosion shakes the cosmos and Aquarius
0: vanishes in a searing blaze of brilliance. Well, cheers, Aquarius.
2: We never knew ye. And so, final page of the story now. We arrive at the top of page 23. The caption for the first panel says,
0: Too numbed to speak, the Green Lanterns free their friends and the groups gather again at Ted Knight's estate.
2: And the heroes indeed stand assembled. Left to right, Superman of Earth 2, Dr. Midnight, Dr. Fate, Wonder Woman of Earth 2... Superman of Earth 1, Green Arrow, the two Green Lanterns, Batman, the Atom, and the Flash. Not sure what's happened to Hawkman. Did Hawkman have any lines in this episode? No, none at <laughs> all. Well, well he got plenty a few weeks ago, so it bounces out. <laughs> One the Woman is saying to Superman of Earth 1, There's nothing we can say, nothing we can do to express our gratitude. Supes replies, no gratitude called for. We did what had to be done, as your Green Lantern said. We exist to combat evil. Alan Scott says, and Aquarius was the greatest evil of all. Batman says,
0: We'll be getting back to our Earth.
2: But then off-panel, a voice says, Wait, please, wait. And a very timid-looking Black Canary, with her hands clasped in front of her, can be seen the next panel, saying, I can't bear to go on living in this world. It's too full of memories, too full of Larry. And final panel shows Superman of Earth-1 bearing Black Canary in his arms. As she says, I'd like to come with you, if I may. Superman replies, of course, come and welcome to Earth One. In the background, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, bears a off flash, Batman the Atom, Green Arrow and Hawkman, as a closing caption says,
0: Thus, a lovely woman seeks to soothe her torment in another place.
2: And the little scroll caption tells us, The, the End. end. Well then, listeners, as multiversal developments go, this is a cracker. The death of Larry Lanson, Black Canary of Earth 2, emigrating to Earth 1. I'm right in thinking this is the first Earth-to-Earth immigration that we've seen of a hero, isn't it?
1: Yep, out of all the stories that we've covered, yes.
2: We've speculated a few points here and there. I mean, no. we'll speculate a few more times in the future about such things. And mm-hmm. and also, we will see a few more heroes changing Earth before the crisis of Infinite Earths finishes. But yes, yeah. very significantly... The transference of Black Canary from Earth 2 to Earth 1. Really, because one, the of Earth 1 is depowered, I suppose, at this point, and they need a, a super heroine. <laughs> Pretty much. It's quite a major one. What were your thoughts on that issue? I
1: really enjoyed that. Not enough Aquarius action for my liking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad. (laughs) I'm a bit concerned that we didn't really get to see Ted Knight recover. Yes. He was kind of knocked out of commission last issue, and uh, we haven't really seen him this issue get better, which is a bit of a worry, really.
2: That's a fair point.
1: Also, we didn't see the cosmic rod kicks recovered either.
2: Yeah, I mean, they could have had Starman standing in that last lineup, holding his cosmic rod, and that Mm -hmm. would have solved all that problem, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was okay and it wrapped it along, obviously. It's very pacey, very exciting. Mm-hmm. It was nice to have a few panels of the heroes from the different arts sort of fighting each other. I think its significance for what it has in the whole canon of Cleary uh-huh. shifting and the meet- the first meeting between the two soups is really what this one's all about.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Aside from all that really big, important continuity stuff, to me, it felt like one of the most simplistic GLA GSA issues we've done, if not the most.
1: Yeah, it's very straightforward, yeah.
2: Even the way that the Earth was sort of brought back in was just dealt with in a couple of panels, and even the way it was dispensed with was just done very quickly. Mm-hmm. It was a trifle unsatisfying, but the, the weight of everything that took place, I think, really made up for that.
1: I think it was terrible timing that at this precise moment... The Spectre is relegated to being a horror host because he would have been able to take on Aquarius. No bother. His Earth was destroyed. Yes. Where was the Spectre?
2: That's very true. Hmm. That's very true. <laughs> I wonder if the Spectre was hauled up to the top of the pearly gates for another um, appraisal yes. after the events of <laughs> issue 73. Right, the earth has been destroyed and you weren't paying attention. We are going to punish you by making your shoes too big. <laughs> you know. Or you will lose your sense of smell for five minutes every third Wednesday. No, cries the Spectre.
1: We shall make your gloves appear and reappear at random.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's that thing with the Spectre, though, because he's so powerful, mm-hmm. probably best to keep him out of the crossovers quite so much, because he could really just turn, or could he just turn up and fix things? We'll see what happens yeah. in the 1970 crossover, listeners. Uh-huh. I don't really have too much more to add about this one, to be oh, honest, apart from the thrill of seeing Superman meet Superman, and I liked how the two Green Lanterns kind of took over at the end, because mm-hmm. their team-ups and crossovers have stopped, essentially, at this point, so it was nice to see them working together, saying their oaths together. Yeah, uh-huh. Beyond that, I don't leave too much else to say. What about yourself? Go for it.
1: Well, speaking of the two green lanterns, they basically sentence Aquarius to death. They trick him into mm-hmm. being killed. And one of the limitations of Hal Jordan's ring, the rings from that universe, is they cannot be used to kill. So
2: ah, well, they they don't actually strike a killing blow. They, they just don't. manipulate him into a situation. No. So
1: But still that's kind of dodgy.
2: I think they had to do what they had to do because mm-hmm. you know did he really have sentience in the real? sort of sense that they had i wonder what the rest of the council of living stars thought about it because they didn't even get a mention yeah. in this issue
1: i was about to mention that right now
2: was that a logopolis moment is it yeah okay right go ahead yeah no, were no, you we, say? Just,
1: we should have seen them here to actually see what
2: happened maybe they could have turned up and said hold green lantern we have observed we have seen what he has done and we will punish him
1: <laughs> yeah
2: taking him away or something you yeah. know Maybe something like that would have happened.
1: Also, it makes you wonder if if Aquarius was a living sun before. Does that mean he was constantly powering the cosmic rod? Because you think the cosmic rod would run out of energy at some point.
2: Ooh,
1: perhaps. That's an
2: interesting thought.
1: Perhaps. So maybe that's how it worked really well as a way for him to channel his energy. Ah, yeah,
2: that is interesting.
1: Another point I wanted to mention was the if you go back to the bit where Larry's buried and we have his gravestone. Yes. The dates on it are Larry Lands, nineteen thirty. To 1969, yes. obviously 1969 yes. being this year, Larry Lance first appeared as an established private investigator in mm. Flash Comics number 92, which came out on the 10th of December 1947.
2: So he was 17. Yeah. Well, man, you know, <laughs> World War Two. Maybe his parents died. Maybe he had to fend for himself. Maybe he had to live on the streets and get wise very quickly. Maybe we know that he's a little more grizzled than Dinah. Yeah, I'm reaching. I agree. <laughs> You're right. I mean, it probably should have said 1925 or something.
1: Yeah, at least. Uh-huh.
2: I suppose they don't want Dinah to be too old herself at this point. Mm-hmm. Even though we have talked in the past, remember when the, the Earth 2 Robin first arrived, we talked about how they, they still treated him like a kid, despite the fact that he yeah. would have been at least yeah, 46 definitely. or 47 at that point. Uh-huh. That's an interesting little quirk, because it's one of those ones you have to not think about it too hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the sliding timescale of Earth 2, yes.
2: Yes, Exactly. It's a very interesting issue. I mean, I think it's the moments when Larry sacrifices himself mm-hmm. for Dinah are very, yeah. very effective. Coming after the hilarious moments of the atom running up Doctor Fate's nose, it's and yeah. his balance of tones, I think. I think it worked very well.
1: I'll be honest, see when the combined teams fly after Aquarius to take him on and they're flying out into space, what use are Batman and dr midnight going to be in space (laughs) yes it seems like unnecessary risk to them doesn't
2: it i think there you've just come up with the title of what our next dc comic that we're going to write is called which is batman and dr midnight in space (laughs) it's going to be in a 50s batman styley and batman and dr midnight will fly around space having all sorts of adventures Cameo appearance from Space Cabbie in issue three. Mm-hmm. A visit to the space museum at the beginning of it, issue four.
1: Chris K L Yeah,
2: it writes itself. I mean, that's a fair point. And then, did we really see them getting rescued? No, we didn't really see them getting rescued from the war. No,
1: as far as we know, they're just left hanging in space <laughs> until they pick them up.
2: Yeah, they might as well not have bothered taking exactly. everyone else with them. I mean, I felt I felt really sorry for Red Tornado getting stuck by again. He is useless. Oh, at of this course, point, isn't yeah. Yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. He's an mm-hmm. absolute waste of space. Good grief. Sucks to be Retornado right now. Can't wait till he just gets his new costume and at least becomes interesting to look at.
1: And bearing in mind, it took him two weeks to tell the, the Justice League his Earth had been destroyed. Yeah. And, you know, the GSA were in trouble. But part of that was the GLA just ignoring him in the first place, you know.
2: That's, yeah. Swings and roundabouts. I mean, It's shocking, really. Mm -hmm. Anything else, or should we move on to the correspondence?
1: Yeah, let's go on and see what other people thought about it at the time.
2: Awesome. So the letters this episode, listeners, covering issue 74, come from issue 78 of Just League of America. Now, I'll warn you in advance, if you haven't got a copy of issue 78 of JLA or copy of that story, get one, because we're going to be doing it. There you go. Spoilers. Mm -hmm. So quite a few letters to get through. is going to tell you the first one. It goes like this.
1: Dear Editor... JLA 74 marks my fifth year of comic magazine hoarding. (sighs) Welcome to my world, mate. (laughs) And since JLA 30 was my first venture into a 3,220-issue world of token reality, it was not (laughs) without nostalgia that I greeted, Where death fears to tread. Although Denny O'Neill seems to have become preoccupied these days with characterisation through tragedy, his ventures move me no more than Gardner Fox's crisis epics of yesteryear. Interesting. as far as science fiction goes O'Neill cannot touch Fox O'Neill does touch however that thing called character which Fox had difficulty in capturing what O'Neill lacks in scientific complexity he makes up for in artful simplicity of plot Aquarius' killing nature of evil the godliness of Doctor Fate, the fallibility and responsibility of the Green Lanterns the snottiness of the atom well particularly being up a nose
2: (laughs) that should be the snottiness of Doctor Fate (laughs) (laughs)
1: toward the inferiority-complex-ridden Red Tornado. The loneliness of Superman, who, lacking the qualities of the despot, reaches out for someone, Earth-2 Superman, to understand the burdens of power. The loving bravery of Larry Lance and his wife's human need for escape helped this reader separate the paper people into entities, despite the use of the oft-used world-beater, hero-versus-hero and helpless JSA plots, It was pretty slick to change the lack of femininity in the JLA, though, and it is ironic that although DC has created legions of new characters, the GLA remains entirely composed of Golden Age characters. As far as art goes, Neil Adams may be as different from the skowsky anderson team as Qbert is from Wood, but the cover of 74 was as artistically satisfying as issue 30's. Dylan and Green employ the detail Sikowski sacks lacked, but sacrificed the latter's effective simplicity of layout. Smaller panels might tame the wild pencil of Dylan, and relieve the wild pencil of or like that and relieve the unavoidable crowding a sixteen character story must have. But, all in all, it was more than adequate work. And I must admit, though the levels of art and story have been inverted, the sixth annual GLA team up managed to retain enough quality to rate an A minus. It is interesting to note that the last member edition was in issue thirty one. Five years to the issue, After Black Canary, let's hope we won't have to wait another five years for a tenth member. Mm. But if we must, I'll still be around. And that very verbose letter was from Mike Teffenbacher from Memonese Falls, Wisconsin.
2: Yeah, it's some interesting points there about how they've created new characters that the JLA, basically at this point, is versions of guys that have been around. I mean, Mm -hmm. Zatanna will join eventually. Elongated Man will join eventually. There was the issue when they offered membership to Metamorpho and he refused.
1: I just got that the other day. (laughs)
2: that's quite interesting I did like what Mike was saying about the the difference in the the artists though yes uh huh. and point out that Dylan did do you know a lot of big panels Mm -hmm. that's very interesting a very widescreen comic I think we could say for JLA 74
1: yeah definitely uh
2: so the editorial response to that one says as a non-player of the numbers game we're unable to pull a number out of the JLA hat and say what the numerical membership will be five years hence but you've got the right idea stick around and find out editor hey so the next letter then says, Dear Editor, JLA74 reinforces my conclusion that Danny O'Neill has really come on strong and is making quite a place for himself as a skillful and innovative scriptor for this very fine magazine. He disposes of a JLA member in style, open brackets, John Jones, in and so my world ends. Now, John Jones, obviously, is not a golden age character, really. No, true. And he was a member, sort of, and they've got rid of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. He gives the unlikable luckless red tornado a useful place and a hero's role, though limited, open brackets, 13 days to doom and starlight, star bright, close brackets. And in the second part of that stupendous star story, featuring the all-star heroes of both the GLA and JSE, he brings together for the first time, Superman 1 and Superman 2, dares to kill really dead, the courageous husband of Dinah, Black Lance, and then does the really way out thing of transporting said widowed heroine from her native Earth 2 to Earth 1, where she can assuage her grief, The surprising ending in number 74 really caps a string of performances for Den, and it keeps us in suspense to see what happens next in the career of Black Canary. As an Earth-1 citizen, will she retain her crime-fighting identity and join the JLA, and even get her own strip in another magazine? Will she continue to hold membership in the JSA as well, and provide a link between the two worlds? Will she eventually marry again, perhaps forming a union with one of the unattached Justice Leaguers? Why? This is all speculative, of course. Mm but it's obvious you're up to something, and I can hardly wait to find out what it is. And that's from August Peters, Rockville, MD. I think we've had letters from August before. Rings a bell.
1: Yeah, the news from uh-huh.
2: The response to August's letter is...
1: For the resolution of your questions, let's hope you won't have to sweat out the five-year sentence self-imposed by the previous correspondent.
2: Yeah. Editor. Very interesting points there about Black Canary going forward. Mm. Pete and I decided, because with the shift of Black Canary from Earth 2 to Earth 1, and as a member of the JSA, and then a member of the Justice League, we kind of had to decide whether or not we were going to do every single Justice League story that she appeared in.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: and we have decided not to. No, but we're going to do issue seventy-five of JLA very soon mm-hmm. because that's the one that really cements Black Canary's relocation, if you like and that really kind of puts a bit of a lid on it, gives it a bit of closure, the, the, the fact that she shifted over. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there will obviously be a few exceptions that we'll do as, as we go on, but, you know, in case anyone's wondering, we're not going to turn into a GLE podcast just because Black Canary is going to be involved, but there will be some special issues that we do do. So, the next letter then.
1: Dear Editor, If nothing else, where death fears to tread, in the September issue of the Justice League, must be classified as the most provocative story ever to appear in this magazine. In all honesty, it was the most enjoyable JLA to read since Secret of the Sinister Sorcerers back in JLA 49. I guess what really made the story unique were all the original and unexpected touches that were added to it. Aquarius, for example, is an excellent creation for a one-shot villain. His misanthropic feelings and pure madness made him the most formidable foe of the Justice League and a most enjoyable villain to the reader. However... The real surprise of the issue was the death of Larry Lance, which I have deciphered as an editorial brainchild. I speak of course about Black Canary leaving Earth too. Apparently, she is going to fill Wonder Woman's slot in the JLA. This is all well and good, but I feel that her logic for doing so is somewhat shaky. After witnessing the tragic death of her husband, I would think she would rather be near him at all times as a symbol of her love and devotion towards him instead of travelling off into the mitigative surroundings of Earth-1. Nevertheless, the idea is new and quite interesting, and I'm sure future episodes with Black Canary in her new role as Justice Leaguer will be worth waiting for. And that's from David V. Nogar from Norristown, Pennsylvania.
2: Interesting. Black Canary moving to Earth-1 casts such a long shadow. Yeah. Way, way in the future, there's a JLA-JSA story that deals with this. Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> he's looking forward to it I'm not it's one of the le- my least favourite comic stories that I've ever read so in a couple of years time we'll get there and see what you think listeners the editorial response to David V Nogar and if that's not a made up name I don't know what is goes like this your judgement of whether the widowed Black Canary should have maintained her Earth 2 status is based upon a male point of view oh, ho, smash the patriarchy but is it a sound female reaction perhaps some of our femme fans can enlighten us that's an interesting point The next letter then says, Dear Editor, JLA 74 was a crowning second layer to an already well-baked cake. Recently I whined against a Neil Adams JLA cover. I will do so again. Both he and Joe Cooper are unfit for so many heroes. God! If Dick Dillon is unavailable, try someone else. Gil Kane, for instance. It seems that you've been scraping at the bottom of the mix bowl for a decent cover lately. Wow. Now, I know I was moaning about it as being a bit kind of unsophisticated, but come on. Our correspondent continues. Now to the bottom of this 32-page pastry. The batter was even better than the first layers was. Chef O'Neill began Where Death Fears to Tread with a concept which looked like it was straight out of issue 56, but the premise differed entirely. The fight scenes were very good. It moistened the cake, although flashes were disappointingly short. That's right. Barry, I think, had one line, possibly more than Hawkman, (laughs) as I said. It also happily differed in the fact that it didn't dominate the story, which left room for the sumptuous climax. See, that's quite good. I mean, the fights were all quite short and to the point. Yeah. you know, They didn't go on for too long, returning to the sumptuous climax. And the latter was quite enjoyable to this reader, the climax, with two green lanterns in magnificent congruence. Aquarius' plight was sort of tragic, but such are the ways of evil. Alan GL spoke quite truly of the matter. On page 16, his outburst interested me very much. And what an icing on the cake. Black Canary's tragedy and change will stun the comic world. I'd happily suggest not forgetting her. Put her in the league and don't let her miss the annual JLA, JSA sagas. And that's from Leon Dornbaum, Little Neck, New York. Now, this is interesting because people are reacting here and not immediately assuming that Canary is going to turn Mm -hmm. up in Justice League.
1: Yeah, uh-huh.
2: all there is, all we really got then of 74 was that she was flipping planets. That's fascinating because, yep. as someone who first encountered Black Canary as a member of the Justice League, uh-huh. it's interesting that these people who were there at the time hadn't even made the connection that that's where she was going to end up. Yep. Very interesting. Yeah. So, the response to this one then.
1: That certain Gil you asked for? Lo! He's popped up on this issue's cover. Can you ask for anything better? Says the editor. <laughs> and indeed, we'll discuss when we reach issue 78 the fabulous Gil Cain cover.
2: Yes, it's in a little tease for for Issue 78, so if you haven't got one, listeners, get it. The next letter then says...
1: Dear Editor, in all fairness, I think it would be better if I comment on Issues 73 and 74 not as two different issues, but as one story. The reason is simple. If I would state an opinion on just the August GLA, I might say good, or average, or worse to that extent, because the only difference in this story from any other JLA one is, of course." It had the members of the GSA. Joe Kubert did his usual good job on the cover, as did Mr. Dillon and Mr. Green on the inside. The words for the follow-up September issue would run something like great, or maybe above average. I have yet to be able to find a cover done by Neil Adams that I didn't like. Excellent. David, did you write in this one?
2: It's Neil Adams, of course I liked it. I just wish the, the background had maybe had like, you know some... Ind- anyway, moan, moan, moan.
1: <laughs> and he didn't let me down this issue either. He pictured perfectly the fight scene between the two supermen. The story art itself was better than usual. Now, if you take the two issues and put them as one, you have the super greatest, most excellent JLA story I've seen in a long while. The first part no longer seems like a run-of-the-mill plot, but an introduction that builds up to an unbelievable script. First, the customary League Society fight that comes about by the baddie gaining control of one of the team's minds, or something like that but this time it seemed different. It wasn't the same old knockout, drag-out fight that used to occur. Then comes the line that could make this the best story of the year. And then, Larry Lance dies. I sat there looking at that one panel with my mouth half open. Great! Then came the little things. The things that make or break a story. Earth coming back into being? The dialogue between the two green lanterns? Larry's funeral, a scene that will go down in comics history. Dinah shouting, You murderer! Then the big battle. With the ranks whittled down to the two GLs, the suspense building, the fight ends, and the story finishes smoothly, with Black Canary coming to our Earth to forget old memories. Undoubtedly, she will join the League, and possibly get her own mag, in which I would be all in favour of. And that's from John Potter from Van News in California. I A.
2: We should talk about the Larry death thing a little bit more. Actually, I think yeah. we've done a few, and we have a few more coming up. Superman family stories that are almost dispensable fluff. This is some real weight. Yeah. This is, you know, Larry. As you said, Larry's been around since the forties. Mm-hmm. It is really unusual to to kill a character off, even a supporting character. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't too long before the death of Gwen Stacy. I'm not comparing them. Is no, it? but. You know, in some ways they are as significant because, you know, mm-hmm. this, you know, meant that Black Canary shifted to another earth and then meant that some way down the line her continuity had to be addressed, you know, because of her ageing and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And it led mm-hmm. in a way to Black Canary through the back door becoming a legacy hero. True. The knock-on effect of the death of Larry Lance is enormous and uh-huh. we really should emphasize that. It's, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm.
1: In many ways, Larry actually kind of replaced Johnny Thunder. Because it was Johnny Thunder's strip in Flash Comics that Mm -hmm. Black Canary then joined and basically they got rid of Johnny Thunder and it became a Black Canary strip. Yeah. And they introduced Larry as kind of like the male counterpart romantic interest Uh in that Uh strip, a role which Johnny had previously. Yeah. So in many ways, he replaced him.
2: He has a very significant character. And it's interesting, again, just to bear in mind and consider that we did the two issues of Brave and Bold with Starman and Black Canary a while ago. And the way that the relationship between Starman and Black Canary was extrapolated on by James Robinson in his Starman series, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Which, you know, put Larry in a very sort of passive position. You know, this really is, and I can't emphasize it enough, with the meeting of Superman and Larry's death, this is one of the most significant stories for the multiverse that we'll do. So the next letter, yeah. no editorial response to John Porter. The next letter says, mm-hmm. Dear editor, if any justification is needed for the assignment of Denny O'Neill to Just League of America, issue seventy-four was it. This issue was perhaps the best of Mr O'Neill's scripts for the GLA so far. He succeeded in skilfully combining drama, excitement and emotion to make up a definitely above-average story. The opening scenes of hypnotised GSAers fighting the GLA were somewhat trite, but nevertheless well-handled. The scenes of the death of Larry Lance, the grief of Black Canary and the bitterness of Alan Scott Green Lantern made effective use of emotion and characterization. I would agree. Finally, the climax, with the two Green Lanterns defeating Aquarius through his own vanity and anger, was a satisfying ending. An interesting point of the story was that the main element was tragedy rather than a tongue-in-cheek comedy which Mr O'Neill so often uses, open brackets, sometimes excessively. And that's from Bill Henley Jr. of North Canton, Ohio. We're not going to tell you the editorial response because it will spoil issue 78. Aha! The next letter then. Dear
1: Editor, Neither the best nor the worst of the Justice League and Society <laughs> team stories, issues 73 and 74 of JLA pointed out, the need in such yarns for tight plotting and deft and individualistic action. It is after all plot and characterization that give a story substance. This double yarn lacked both. For novels like this one, with so many characters and so little room for action, merely pairing the heroes off against each other to slug it out is a poor substitute for solid yet brief team ups or solos against the menaces. The lack of a proper basis for the story, developed character and taught well-controlled action is the main reason that these last two issues must exist in the shadow of the Earth Crisis's masterpieces of 1963 and 1964. The first two JLA-JSA pairings. And why it will never come close to the alley the first story won and that the second one came so close to winning. That's referring to the alley awards there. Kay. Too bad Gardner Fox has retired to his science fiction paperbacks. A career spanning both organisations and all their characters is needed to give such a story that needed meat from which all quality flows. Nine days ago, on my 20th birthday, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed in the moon. Which has nothing to do with this letter, <laughs> but I felt they should be thanked again. Oh,
2: well, that's lovely.
1: And that's from Guy Lillian III from
2: Kenner LA. That's brilliant. That really dates it, doesn't it? Mm. Awesome. And editor editorial response to that lovely little letter there says, One further thing. Your final paragraph contributes. The age of our favourite guy of interest to those who are curious, Lillian. The final letter you'll be glad to know, listeners. Dear Editor, I don't like letters like this at all. Please understand. It gets immensely sickening when someone writes your letter of Mr Swartz, Mr O'Neill, Mr Dillon, Mr Green, you're great, blah, 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 etc. But I felt that after reading JLA 74, I had to. This JLA-JSA two-parter started out in number 73 as good, but nothing spectacular. The villain of the story of the 12 Zodiac signs had to be named Aquarius. The JLA-JSA team-ups, I was just mildly excited over the strange predicament endowed upon our heroes. But, where death fears to tread changed all that. I actually was shaking as I finished it, as I still am shaking now. I put down the magazine but a few moments ago, so stirred by it was I, that I had to write, right away. Larry Lancey's death was completely unexpected. Page 13, panel 4, showed him armed with Green Arrow's bow as the Sphere of Doom descended upon Black Canary. So I naturally assumed that he would try some arrow trick to save Dinah. Yeah, that's fair. Earth mm-hmm. Two's Green Lantern's reaction made him more human than I could ever have pictured him. And that's also true, I think. Imagine the Ladoms had drawn this issue.
1: Yeah, it'd been epic. Mm-hmm.
2: Those scenes with the two GLs mm-hmm. conversing, they would have been phenomenal. Yep. Our correspondent continues... Black Canary's sudden decision at the end of this story was a great touch, I hope. I assume this means that the JLA will once again have a female member. And it ended the story on just the right note. It gave a bit of hope for the future without detracting from the tragedy of the tale. And that's from Paul Decker. And, oh, my copy's a bit scruffy actually. The printing's not very good. I can't make out where he came from. What does it say?
1: Okanominok from Wisconsin.
2: Right, there we go. All I've got is O-C-O-N. And a scuff yep. so there we go
1: Okonomocock Wisconsin
2: that'll do so there's no response Okonomocock
1: to... I'm just going to say it again
2: <laughs> stop interrupting so there's uh, no response to Paul Decker's letter but that's interesting I mean, when you see Larry picking up the bow was he just going to use it to attack him with the JLA was he going to shoot Green Arrow and then I think so yeah that's a fair point as well because it really was corny calling the bad guy Aquarius <laughs> we can't emphasise that <laughs> point enough that was a bit cheesy and a bit rotten very true well that's it for issue 74 of JLA, the conclusion yep. of the 1969 JLA-JC team-up, and a real, as I hope we've said, a real game-changer for the DC Multiverse and for the Justice League and for Black Canary and several mm-hmm. other heroes. Very, very interesting. Listeners, please write in and let us know what you think of this story.
1: Actually, we've had some interesting correspondence and interaction lately regarding our Gentleman Ghost episodes. Oh, yes. Firstly, we've had an email from listener Chuck Lauridans. Hi, Chuck.
2: Hi, Chuck.
1: He asked the question, So, were there no scenes of the Gentleman Ghost and Zita as a postery wheel as Unchained Melody plays in the background? <laughs> yes. Brilliant. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you, Chuck. I wish, I wish we could see that. That'd be fantastic.
2: <laughs> That's brilliant. Yes, Ghost. Best movie of 1990.
1: To be honest, I don't think the Gentleman Ghost would like getting the clay on his gloves. No. those mods that were admiring him in the mod shop they would be disgusted at that so yes yeah perhaps not and Chuck also says Earth 2 podcast fan for life cheers Chuck you're a gent you're a gentleman
2: oh thank you Chuck we love you thank you Chuck
1: indeed and also we had on our Twitter we had a comment from our friend DC Multiverse Historian
2: yes Uh
1: who said that one of the websites he uses said that the gentleman ghost that we referred to on Earth 1 was the same as the original golden age one and he said that this was revealed in the hawkman special from the 80s now i dug out my copy of that hawkman special and indeed the gentleman ghost features heavily in it and i read through all of it and i couldn't find anything until i got to very near the end where the gentleman ghost is basically just doing a massive soliloquy Mm. and his direct quote
2: is oh yes i sense your bewilderment why would one such as myself, who has matched wits with both Kata Hall and his other Earth counterpart, deny your vengeance? Yeah, that's it. Uh...
1: Yep, that's the one line there. <laughs> now, as far as we can tell, in no published story does the Earth-1 established Gentleman Ghost meet the Earth-2 Hawkman. Yeah. But there's also no story in which he seems to travel between Earths. Yep. So I think this is kind of like a throwaway line. Also, interestingly as well, this... Hawkman special came out literally the week before Crisis and Infinite Earths 12 hit. Yes. Now, at that point, the Earths actually had already merged <laughs> and yes. became one. So this whole yeah. point was moot about travelling between Earths. So you could say it was the same character, but it's it's weird.
2: This Hawkman special was published to kind of continue and tie up the, the excellent miniseries, The Shadow War of Hawkman. And Pete and I have briefly mm-hmm. discussed off the back of this one panel whether or not we're going to do Shadow War of Hawkman and this special we will continue to discuss it and once we get past yes. once we get to the crisis we'll have, we'll have decided in
1: 14 years time we'll get there
2: yeah. I'm of the opinion that this is just the Gentleman Ghost alluding to an adventure he had possibly where he fought the two Hawkmen. Yeah. I think that's more likely than saying that he's mm-hmm. the same guy because we read issues 43 and 44 of Atom and Hawkman mm-hmm. and Pete C summarised the original Golden Age stories yep. that he appeared in. Mm-hmm. And the conclusion that we had then was that this was the repetition of events, similar events across the two Earths. Yeah. There's nothing in that. We We, we in all cases try to take the comics that are published as our first source. Mm-hmm. We'll maybe take into consideration something that's said in a Who's Who biography, for example. Uh-huh. But we won't put too much weight on our own speculations or those of others. I think we'll have to write a DC comic where mm-hmm. Gentleman Ghost teams up. Maybe Hawkman of Earth 2 is visiting Hawkman of Earth 1.
1: Because we, we never got that. Yeah. We never got a double Hawkman story.
2: Yeah, that's like the only one we didn't get, really. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting point, and as Pete said, it's fascinating that this completely throwaway and irritating line was thrown into this special <laughs> that was published just as Crisis was finishing and of course Hawkman's immediate post-crisis circumstances were fairly straightforward. They just basically continued with the Silver mm-hmm. Age guy. But then obviously yeah. after the publication of the Hawkworld series, they decided that this hadn't been the Silver Age guy we've been seeing yeah. at times. It was really, it was the Golden Age Hawkman that'd been in the JLA. The and then that's where everything for Hawkman completely fell apart mm-hmm. and made them almost impossible to talk about concisely or follow, leading to so many reboots and so many retcons and so many series in the last yeah. Thirty years that it's actually impossible now practically to keep a hold of it.
1: I would say the Jeff Johns run's very good and also the yes. most recent Robert Van Ditti series was excellent. Sadly no one read it. But, yeah. but it's available in four trades, guys. Go out and get it. It's really good.
2: I remember really enjoying the Johns one. I think James Robinson was involved yep, at the start does. of that. I read it very much like like Starman actually at the time. And I, I did mm-hmm. buy quite a few issues, of the recent series. I'm missing a few. But then I mm-hmm. I'm picking up new comics out of sheer habit. Not even habit now. Just that it feels like some <laughs> kind of biologically imperative sort of duty that i'm still picking up the flash and asking you to put dark crisis onto my standing order for me <laughs> yes that's peter and i dispensing with the idea that the gentleman ghost that the earth one hawkman encountered in a recent episode was the same one who the yeah. the golden age hawkman had encountered in the 40s we are, we're not buying it at this point we um just think no. that maybe the the simplest response to that is that the ghost had a an adventure where he met them both and he wanted to show off about it, <laughs> as you would.
1: <laughs> of course, of course. And if you want to show off, yes. if you want to show off your letter-writing abilities, you can write in like Chuck it's at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media because there'll be lots of interesting bonus material going up for this episode, and indeed all our episodes. On Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2, and on Facebook and Instagram, we are at the Earth 2 podcast
2: yeah, and as I said earlier on, listeners, I'd be really, really interested to hear what you think of this issue with the death of Larry Lance and Black Canary moving Earths. So, mm-hmm. You know, please do get in touch and let us know your thoughts about it and your feelings on the effect of that that has, you know, has had in all the co- many, many comics that have been published since. Please,
1: if you've been affected by any issues that have been raised in this story, <laughs> please get in touch. Yes,
2: if you've been affected by any issues published after, I mean, you got, I mean, think about it. Do you remember that Joyce period in the two thousands, Peter, when there was the Green Arrow Black Canary wedding special? Yes when it was her hen night and Ollie's stag night and all that sort of stuff and her picking her wedding Mm -hmm. night outfit and Wonder Woman just being so girly about it all. I mean, those were brilliant comics. Fun
1: times, fun times. This
2: is the root of all that sort of happening. You know, the, it's Mm -hmm. a mild spoiler for the next issue of the JLA that we're going to talk about, I suppose. Yeah. This one casts a long shadow. This one really Mm -hmm. does. And I've enjoyed covering it. And we hope you've enjoyed listening to us covering it.
1: Indeed. And on that note, I've been Peter.
2: And I've been David. We'll see you soon on...
1: Yeah, the 2 podcast.
2: podcast. Transmatter Cube
0: activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime.
1: Where, Where death, death feels fears, fears to tread. Feels <laughs> fears <laughs> to tread. Oh, I No such luck. The good doctor's about to play his ace, his blackout bomb. There are some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist.